When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I am your host, Tyler, and back for the mailbag episode this week, after leaving me hanging over Thanksgiving week, is my coach, Charlie. And Charlie, I know you, along with, what would you say, about 50,000 other red and black clad fans, made your way to the, the concrete paradise of Atlanta over the weekend. And I know you, for one, love the fine city of Atlanta. Oh, yeah, definitely one of my favorite places to go. I get to go back next weekend. You sound thrilled. Thrilled. You should be more. Th- I mean, we have a chance that I do something special here. I, like, I'm I, I know that you don't like Atlanta, but I like, get excited for about the, the game. game. I'm excited for the game, and that's about it. At least Atlanta's walkable. Give it sure. that. Give it that. It's walkable. I know it's not. I mean, look, somebody out there is like, what are you guys even talking about? Atlanta's the greatest city in the history of the world. And you're just, you've, I feel like you've killed about every city that we've gone to this year. It's not true. Where have we, okay, you like Knoxville. You talked You talked up Knoxville. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Charlotte, one through 10. Liked it. Give me a, give me a number, one through 10. Eight, seven. Eight, so, okay, seven, eight. Nashville. <laughs> Zero. Come on, Charlie. Now I gotta throw a flag on that. I mean, I know that you hate Nashville. Zero. Zero. So you said you had you had like zero fun in Nashville. I mean, I you asked I, for a number and I gave you a number. You are a special kind of person. I, I just I don't know who can't find a way to have fun in Nashville. You I didn't can't. say that I, mean, I had fun. I don't like the city. I it is. I will say it's not your speed. I understand that. All right. So Nashville zero. Okay. Um, where we go next? Auburn. Hmm. Six. Really? Now you were day trip. Okay, the fact, okay, that that bumps okay, if it wasn't a day trip, if you had to stay in Auburn, what would it be? Probably still five. Five ish. Okay. I feel like the way you were talking about when we played them is like a two or three. No. It's not it's not, there's just not much there. That's the problem with Auburn. Um all right, so we went there. Where else did we play? We played Jacksonville. Five. Five, okay. But okay, fair. Uh Knoxville. I know you like Knoxville. Nine. Nine. A nine. Easy to get there. It's easy to get there. I do think it's an underrated Few college town. Few restaurants that are good. Their campus sucks, um, but good football. The downtown's growing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair. I mean, nine. That's like that's really high though, Charlie. Nine out of the places well, we've I'm, gone. I, I, that's fine. That's fine. I'm glad that you found something that you liked in Atlanta. Zero. No, it can't be a zero. I don't like Atlanta. You like quick trips? It was a quick trip. Yeah, but I don't like Atlanta. I, what is it about Atlanta that you don't like? 
I just don't like that many people. Yeah, but... And uh, I like to see green. Do you like New Orleans? Eh. You, I know, I, you, I know you like Chicago. Chicago's got a ton of people. Yeah. I know not, you like Boston. Mm, yeah, but it's... There's a lot of people there, too. No, but not like Atlanta. Atlanta, there's just nothing there. It doesn't there. have the charm that those other cities have. Right. There's nothing Fair. there. Okay. Well, there's a lot there, Charlie. <laughs> Not that I want Not that do. you want, but that doesn't mean there's nothing you're there. You're asking for like my Auburn, opinion. Like, Auburn, there's nothing there. But you're asking for okay, my opinion. Fair, fair, fair. Auburn fair. has fewer people. Yeah. I mean, Auburn is more your speed. I don't like it's a lot more of people. Your speed. I know. And that's fine. That's fine, Charlie. That's why we love you. You do you. All good. Oh, and last question before we get to the actual questions. I know you're talking about the pecan pie. How many slices do you have for Thanksgiving? Only? I mean, on Thanksgiving? Okay, over the course of Thanksgiving only, week. Only two. No. Yeah. So you were talking that up, and you're limiting yourself to two slices? I didn't bring any home. Was it because you didn't have any room left? No. I just didn't bring any home. That's strange. I know. I thought you were going to eat an entire pie. I mean, I would have, but that would have been rude. You can go buy your own? Make your own? I mean, I would like to, but my brain won't let me. Yeah. Brains, they suck. Yeah. Sometimes. I I have that same curse. That's why my mom makes these things she calls magic bars. I don't even know how to describe them. Um, I think I've actually... Made them. Have you had Have you had a magic bar? You know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Okay, so magic bar. It's like um, graham crackers, um, chocolate, coconut. I don't even. I don't even know how to describe it. But they're delicious. And oh my god, I wanted to eat like the entire panful of them. But I ate one, and it was the greatest magic bar I've ever eaten in my entire life. Nice, soft, moist, perfect, warm. But my brain won't let me another one, Charlie. I just stared at them all day. I just stared. And stared and stared. Well, that's sad. I know. I thought you talk about brains. Brains just. Sometimes... I just didn't bring any pie home. I, I, that was a mistake. And then I didn't buy any at the store because I forgot. Oh, so now the truth comes out. You just forgot. Well, I didn't think about it when I went to the store. I feel after like after the fact on Thanksgiving. So I might buy another one before Christmas. Yeah, I feel like you can probably myself. still get one, Charlie. Doesn't yeah. have to be eaten only on Thanksgiving. Certain yeah. things only be eaten on Thanksgiving, but I think pecan pie. No, I think you can have whatever you want. Dressing people eat dressing I say outside that, Thanksgiving. But then I don't. I mean, I mean, some I people would. do. I just don't think that's. I just don't common. cook. So yeah, cooking is not for me either. I got time for that. Wish I did. Actually, I don't wish I did. Cookies not has holds no interest for me whatsoever. All right. Anyway, we got lots of get to today. Before we get to our questions, I do quickly want to remind everyone, Charlie, if there, if our listeners out there. Are thinking about making a trip to Athens, tell them where should they stay? The Normal Town Cottage. Why should they stay at the Normal Town Cottage? Oh, it's a beautiful neighborhood. It's the greatest neighborhood it's in Athens. It's cleaner than a hotel. I mean, not no question. It's very nice. Great host, take care of all your Don't needs. Don't have to pay for parking. Nope. You can walk to several restaurants, and I think they just opened the Mexican restaurant Aguilinda again. Yeah, they, if you guys if you guys haven't seen on Prince Avenue, if you know what I'm talking about, Aguilinda there. Um, forever, kind of small. They tore it down they and completely rebuilt tore it. it down. And over the summer, I was curious what they were going to do with it, but it looks pretty awesome. It's like now a double decker. Now they have decker. like a roof deck. It's like a rooftop deck rooftop. kind of thing. Yes. I, I mean, it hasn't reopened yet. Has it reopened? I think so, yeah. Has, okay, I need to go check it out because I, I love their food. I haven't been able to go in about a year because you had COVID and then they tore More the place. Than that. I mean, they tore the place entirely down. They had like a little tent. They were kind of serving food sometimes, but you never knew when they were serving food. But it looks fantastic on the outside when you run by it. So, yeah, it's right down the street. You can walk there. You can walk to Normal Bar, Old Pal, High Low. I know you like High Low, Charlie. And Flying Biscuit. I ran by there the other morning. It's delicious. You can delicious. walk down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can walk down. It does smell good. Every time I run by there in the morning, it's like, that's just torture, man. Like, you know, smell that in the air as you're running. It's like, I just want to stop. Sometimes it 
is delicious and sometimes it makes you sick. Sometimes it depends Not because it doesn't smell good. You're just, it when you're running, you just depends on what point you in your don't... run you're in. Yeah. yeah. You know what does it for me, Charlie? The smell of fresh mulch. I know it's not this time of you year. You like it or you don't I, like it? It makes me want to vomit. Like I, I have to like hold the vomit in when I like when it's springtime and people are putting the fresh mulch out and I'm run by it. I it's, it takes everything I have to hold in the vomit. It's just that well, nauseating. For thank me. you. I can't for explain that. it. I can't explain it. It's terrible. So yes, Normal Sound Cottage. Make sure to book your stay on Airbnb. You can check them out on Instagram. You can also check out the link that is pinned to our Twitter profile. And Charlie, I know you don't know how to do that, but it's okay. I got it taken care of. No big deal. Okay, great. All right. Well, we got a lot of questions to get to, Charlie. A ton of questions. And these are all, I mean, they're all Alabama focused, right? I mean, yeah. Clearly, all think. eyes are on the SEC championship game in the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, uh, what are we starting with? Our first question is from Keith, and he wants to know how did Alabama's performance against Auburn on Saturday affect your level of confidence um, about the dogs beating Alabama next week? Did you watch that game? I know you watched it, right? Oh, it was a great game. It was an incredible I, game. I think that might be the most fun I've had watching a game in a long time. There were two really good... So I, you guys know I DVR all these games. So I came back home and I was like, social media blackout. People were trying to talk about some of these games in the stands. I was there in Atlanta. I was like, oh my God. Like I look like the biggest weirdo on earth, Charlie. I had like my fingers in my ears like humming to myself because I don't want to hear what people are saying because I want to watch these games. So I got home. I watched the Michigan-Ohio State game and the, then followed that up with Bama and um, Auburn, obviously. Two fantastic games. Did you watch the Michigan-Ohio State game? Did you deviate? Did you take my advice? And actually yeah, DVR? I enjoyed watching. They were both fantastic games. I, right. I enjoyed, they were enjoyable for different reasons because you just loved seeing Ohio State get, get the crap well, beat out of Well, you loved seeing Ohio State I, I really enjoyed it. And then Alabama, that was just like on the edge of your seat. Like, what is going to happen? And it was truly, like, I don't know about you, but for me sitting there watching, it was like, is this happening? Like, is it, we're in, it's like 10 minutes ago in the fourth quarter, and Alabama has zero points on the board. Like, I thought, I mean, I picked Auburn to cover the 19 half. I did not see Auburn holding Bama scoreless through three quarters of play. Yep. I'm sitting there watching, like, what what is happening right now? Yeah. It was enjoyable because I don't, in, I enjoy watching Georgia play this season because we've been winning there's so no stress dominantly. There's no, there's no drama this season. Like, I was, like, yawning. But I actually enjoyed watching that game because it didn't involve Georgia, and it was just extremely entertaining. It was just fun. There's yeah. a lot of the stakes and all that involved. The, I, we talked about this last week. That's why we had the Hate Week extravaganza on our picks episode. Because Hate Week is incredible. These rivalries, this is why college football is the greatest thing ever. And the NFL cannot touch it. I don't care what people say. NFL cannot touch college football. Simple. No big deal. Um, all right. So this was a great game. Did it improve your confidence level heading into Saturday? Mm, no. I'm still confident in Georgia. But I think Nick Saban is going to use the weaknesses and difficulties from Saturday to energize it's motivational attack. Yes. He gets yes. their full attention now, right? Yes. It's different if you beat a team 50 to nothing and you're like, okay, we're cool. No big deal. Like the coaches, what the coach, because the coaches always want to point out what you do wrong. It doesn't have the same impact when you win a game going away. I will say it's good that our players, our starters, were pretty much done within an hour on I Saturday. And Alabama, they were just getting beaten down the entire game. game. Yeah. It's a and they didn't finish game. until late. Was so, it four overtimes? Yes, a little extra recovery for our guys, and they didn't have to exert as much energy. And we also get to drive to Atlanta. There's that, you know, yeah. extra little something there. So yeah, look, I I will say, Charlie, for me though, I think this did 
enhance my confidence going into the game next week against, or I guess this weekend against Alabama, a little bit. And it's, but this is nothing new. Though. I will say this, like Charlie, this is not the first time we've seen Bama struggle this year, right? We know they lost on the road to AM, struggled in that game. They easily, if LSU had any sort of offense at all, they would have lost to LSU a couple weeks back. They easily could have lost that game. LSU had chances late and just couldn't convert when they had those opportunities in the red zone in Bama territory. And Arkansas, I mean, I don't think Bama was ever really in danger of losing Arkansas, but Arkansas certainly pushed them. It was a touchdown game, and Arkansas is a good team. Arkansas is not a great team. That was at home. I mean, this is an Arkansas team that we shut out 37 to nothing. So there have been warning signs. That's what I've been telling you guys all season, even going back to the preseason. This is not a vintage Alabama team. I've said it over and over again. I know you're tired of hearing me say it, but they're not. They're really good. They're awesome. Super talented. One of the most talented teams in the country. Maybe one of the two most talented teams in the country, but there's just something missing. They don't have those elite wide receivers. You have a really talented quarterback in Bryce Young, but you saw on Saturday, he's still a freshman. He's still a freshman. He's still young. When you pressure him, he's going to make mistakes like any quarterback. You saw that with CJ Stroud as well in that Michigan-Ohio State game. So I, I wasn't like shocked that Auburn gave them the game. I thought Auburn would play them close. Auburn plays Bama close, at least recently, in recent history, when the game is there in Jordan-Hare. And I just felt like that, combined with the fact that Alabama is not like a vintage Bama team, that they had a shot to, to keep it close. Now, I didn't see it going to four overtimes. I didn't see it playing out the, the way it did, holding Bama scoreless through three quarters. I think Bama scored their first touchdown with eight minutes and 44 seconds ago in the, in the, in the fourth quarter. I didn't see that, but I, there certainly are some some things that showed themselves in that game against Auburn that I think we can exploit, especially the right side of the offensive line. I think we have a couple questions about that, which I kind of knew was a, was a bit of an issue for them coming into the into the weekend, but it was just put on full display against Auburn. Auburn was able to exploit that, and you got to believe we're going to have a really good chance to do it because Auburn is not great on the defensive line, guys. They are not. They're okay at best. And to see them be able to do that, I know it's a rivalry game, but to see them be able to do that, you got to think, what are we going to be able to do against that right side of their offensive line. you got to be licking your lips right now going into that matchup. So yeah, I think certainly it enhanced my confidence some. Uh, I was already confident heading into that game. I think this is the best chance we're going to have to beat Alabama. But you got to feel a little bit more confident after seeing them struggle like that against Auburn. Yeah, but you have to remember that Alabama gets every call in their favor. That that actually might be my biggest concern. I have a couple concerns in this game. Like We're, we're playing against an extra man. They have a 12th man on their side. It's going to happen. Over, under... 10 holding calls not called on Alabama. Oh, over. I mean, that's been every game this year. So on Bama, Exactly. Yeah, way over. Yeah, and how many cold holding calls called on Georgia? Well, and they'll do it at the most inopportune times. Like oh, we, yeah. We, uh, we had a 60-yard touchdown pass. Oh, holding. Bring him back. Yep. Oh, cool. Cool, no yep. deal. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to happen. Be ready for that. Our next question comes from Swift 20 He wants to know, or she wants to know, what's going to be the best defensive game plan to stop Bama's passing attack? I guess this is the question of the hour this week. There's a lot of matchups in this game to break down, but this, I think, is probably the most important of all of those matchups. The prolific Alabama passing attack, top 10 passing offense nationally going against the best defense in the country. This is the money matchup. And the idea of stopping Alabama's passing offense, I think that notion's a bit aggressive. I don't know if you stop or shut down Bama's passing attack. They're just too good. The rules favor offenses far too much these days. 
And Bama over the years, and obviously this year included, just does a fantastic job of exploiting those rules to their advantage. Not cheating, they're playing within the rules, but the rules just allow offenses to do things these days that make it really hard to defend the passing. Whether it's RPOs, you can have linemen four yards down the field where it muddies up the read for defenders. Is it a run? Is it a pass? You don't know because it could be either. Or all these rub routes. Or if you're a defender, all these pick plays that offenses run these days and are allowed to run these days, it's just really hard to stop or shut down a passing attack that's this prolific, that's this well-schemed, has the, the players and the athletes that they have, it's just hard to stop. I know that's just semantics here, but to me, the goal is more so limiting what Alabama does in the passing game, making sure they don't gash you and making sure they don't run away with the football game by hitting explosive passing play after explosive passing play the way they did last season in Tuscaloosa in the second half of that game. And I know everyone's looking at the Auburn game and saying, well, well Auburn shut down the Bama passing attack. I, I don't think they did. I think they limited the Bama passing attack. At the end of the day, Bryce Young still threw for 317 yards. Yeah, he was under 50% completion percentage, 25-51, 317, 6.2 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one pick. They didn't shut them down completely. Bama was still able to do enough in the passing game to win the game, but they limited the Bama passing attack. That is the goal going in this game. I mean, I guess the goal is to shut them down. I just don't know if that's realistic in this day and age. To me, the more realistic goal is to limit them enough to where they don't run away with the game with explosive passing plays. So to get to the actual question, how do we do that? And I think the, the obvious answer here is to get pressure. If you watch the, the Iron Bowl, which I know all of you listening did, you saw how the Auburn defensive front was able to make life a living hell for Bryce Young back there in the pocket. That's what we have to be able to do. But even more so now, let's take another step here. It's not only pressuring him. Obviously, you know, any quarterback that's back there, whether it's C.J. Stroud, because Michigan did the same thing to him, or Bryce Young at Alabama, you want to make life uncomfortable for these quarterbacks. You don't let them just sit back there and pick you apart. Obviously, that's football 101. But even more than that, the key here is being able to pressure Bryce Young with a four-man rush. And this is what we have done with great success all season long. If that trend continues in this game against Alabama, then I think Alabama's have a really hard time winning this football game, especially if you see how their passing game just really wasn't operating at full capacity when they were getting pressured in the Iron Bowl last week. Now, obviously, Jamison Williams not being in that game for the majority of the game had a lot to do with that, of course. But the fact is, even if Jamison Williams was, was in the game, and when he was in the game, the passing game was not clicking because there was too much pressure that Bryce Young was having to deal with. But the reason that it's important to be able to create pressure with a four-man rush, and this is something that's important every single game. This is not unique to playing Alabama. It's important in every single game. But when you play a team like Alabama, who can carve you up and just devastate you with explosive passing plays if you bring too many guys and you leave your defenders out there in man coverage against these explosive receivers, it just takes on even more of a premium. And look, guys, I understand. If you watch the Iron Ball, Auburn did bring more than four quite a few times against Alabama. They had success with it. They also got hurt with it at times as well. And we've talked about it all season long. Have we really been testing the back end? I still don't think we've been tested to a significant degree. I think obviously Tennessee tested us in a way that we haven't been tested all year long by push, trying to push the ball vertically down the field. They had a couple explosive plays, but not enough, obviously, to really challenge us in that game. So I don't want to say that we haven't been challenged at all. We face some decent passing offenses, but nothing 
to the level of this Alabama offense and nothing to the level of receivers like John Mechie and Jamison Williams. Even though I don't think these guys are the caliber of Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, I've made that clear all year long. I do not believe they are those guys. But let's be real. I mean, these this is the best group of receivers that we have faced all year, and their offense is more equipped to hurt us with explosive passing plays than any offense that we have faced at this point. So it is going to be a different challenge for our secondary, our cornerbacks especially. Do you really feel comfortable with those guys sitting back there on an island in man coverage when we're bringing five or six guys? I mean, think about how many times you've seen Alabama over the years, this year included, run those quick little glance routes, which are like, they look like slant routes, but they, they call them glance routes, and they break that tackle in man coverage, and they are off to the races. When you bring five or six guys, you make yourself vulnerable to that. When you can pressure with four, you can play a lot of different coverages back there. You can play different zone coverages, different variations of man coverage. You can play two man. You can play three match. You can play mod. You can play base quarters. There's all sorts of different things that you can run defensively that just make it hard for Bryce Young to decipher what the defense is doing, to know where to go with the football. That's another level of making him uncomfortable. It's not just the pass rush, it's just the ability to be able to throw different coverages at him. If he knows you're going to be in man coverage the vast majority of the time, and you're bringing five or six guys, and he's got one-on-one opportunities with receivers out there against corners who are playing on islands, that makes his job a lot easier. So it's not just pressure. Yes, you want to pressure, but you want to be able to pressure with four and be give yourself the opportunity to be able to play different coverages behind that to add another layer of confusion for Bryce Young. Because he is still a young quarterback. He's really talented and who knows, he might win the Heisman. This is like the worst year for Heismans ever. But he'll probably win the Heisman, I guess. But in the grand scheme of his football career, he is still really, really young. And he's played some good defenses. a good defensively. He hasn't played a defense like this. And so we want to give him as much to think about and put as much stress on him as humanly possible. And I think the best way to do that is to try to pressure with four guys. And we've done this again all year long. We do a fantastic job of using simulated pressure where we're really usually only bringing four. We rarely bring more than four, but the the quarterback, the offense, they have no idea which four are coming and where that pressure is going to be coming from. Is it going to be the base four down lineman? Is it going to be an inside linebacker? Is it going to be an outside linebacker? Is it going to be the stars? Is it going to be a corner? Is a safety coming? They don't know where these guys are coming from because we have so much position versatility and so much athleticism on our defense. So I think that's the key to stopping, or let me correct myself here, to limiting, maybe slowing down this Alabama passing attack. I would also quickly throw this in there as well. I think we need to have someone mirroring Bryce Young a lot of the time. Now, you can't do anything exclusively. You can't be that predictable. But on important downs, I think we need to have someone mirroring Bryce Young. You can call it spying if you want. We call it a mirror in our defense. We run a lot of different variations of this. One of the, the common variations we run is a defense called Odd Mirror 5, where essentially you have... A, a defender. It used to be Adam Anderson. He did a lot of this, but obviously he's not. He's no longer in the equation. But we have so many guys that can do this. Whether it's Channing Tindall, whether it's Quay Walker, whether it's Nicobe Dean, even Trayvon Walker at times. You have someone, and we're just going to use the word spy because that's what you guys are more familiar with. You have somebody spying or mirroring the quarterback. And as soon as he breaks the pocket, here's where we differentiate with just like basic spying. Spying typically is just like you just watch quarterback and if he starts to run, he comes past the line of scrimmage, then you've got him, right? Well, with the way we run it, with the way we run Odd Mirror 5 and other variations of this is as soon as the quarterback breaks the pocket, not even like breaks the line of scrimmage, just breaks the pocket, tries to escape pressure, then whoever is mirroring the quarterback, he triggers as an extra rusher. 
And you can do this with like rushing four and then the mirror might make a, a potential fifth rusher or you can do it where you're rushing three at the snap and then that mirrors your fourth rusher as soon as the quarterback tries to break the pocket. And the reason I really like that defense against Bryce Young is I think that he is most dangerous when he breaks the pocket, when he escapes the pocket. He is not a guy that they run design quarterback runs with. I think I saw a stat somewhere, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's like less than five times this year have they called design quarterback runs for Bryce Young. Less than five times. But he still makes plays with his legs. It's all scramble stuff, guys. He is very adept at breaking the pocket, extending the play. He's very slippery back there. He's very elusive. And he does a really good job of keeping his eyes downfield and being able to make plays off of that scramble drill. Because that's where defenses break down the most when the quarterback starts to scramble. It really is just a scramble drill. Receivers just start, they, they kind of cut off whatever route they're in. They just run to open space. They run to open grass and just play backer football and try to get open. So everything just kind of breaks down. And that is where he is most dangerous, in my opinion. How do you take that away? I think you have to mirror him and take that part of his game away. All right, our next question comes from, and I like this, I love this handle, one. Mr. Tomatohead49. Love it. Are there any offensive matchups that we can exploit against Bama besides our tight end? Well, the first one that comes to mind for me is their safety Jordan Battle against any of our skill players, whether it's tight ends, running backs. Jordan Battle and coverage against anyone on our team, any of our skill players, that is advantage Georgia. Now, he's he's pretty good against the run, but he is not to the level of some of the other Bama safeties that we've seen in years past. He is a liability for them in coverage. I've been saying that for weeks. I'll say it again all week long. And he's going to have to cover somebody. If they're, they're going to play man coverage, which is what Saban traditionally likes to do a lot of. I know Pete Golding is their, their DC now, but Saban, with some of the issues they had early in the season, he's really, I don't want to say taking control, but he's become more involved in the Alabama defense as the season's gone on. They still run a bunch of man coverage. And we have a bunch of guys that can hurt you in the pass game. I know we don't have that one dude. I mean, maybe you can say Brock Bowers, but whether it's Jermaine Burton, Brock Bowers, A.D. Mitchell, George Pickens now back in the equation. Another question about him later on, I believe. Darnell Washington, Kyrus Jackson now back healthy. Looks like he's going to be okay with the rib injury. Looks like he's going to practice on Monday. Hopefully he'll be fine there. He's really coming along. Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemi, Jack Saint. Thinking about the running backs in space, whether it's James Cook, Kenny McIntosh. We have a plethora of weapons at our disposal. And he's going to be mashed up on one of them. I don't care who it is. It's an advantage for us. So that is a guy, number nine for Alabama at safety. You've got to find where he is on defense and you have got to get your playmakers matched up on him in man coverage. Try to do that at all costs. If we can do that, we can hit big plays. Another player I would target here is Young freshman outside linebacker, Dallas Turner. I think he's going to be a really good player. He's already a really good pass rusher. We were heavily involved with him in recruiting last year. I thought for a while there we were going to land him. I think we were leading for a while, but give him credit. They were able to turn the tide there, no pun intended, and pull him um, and get him on their commit list. And he's had to play a lot this year. They've had a bunch of injuries at that position. The plan was not to play him this year, but he's played quite a bit, basically the entire second half of the season. And they just don't have any depth there. They don't rotate much at all. So it's Will Anderson on one side, Dallas Turner on the other. Dallas Turner, I mean, he's listed like 6'4", 245, but he's a very, very thin 245. That guy is light in the bridges, really athletic, really good pass rush ability. But I don't want to say he's a liability 
against the run, but he certainly is not as strong against the run, anchoring against the run, closing against the run as he is rushing the passer. He's the guy that I would run at in this game. This Alabama rush defense is very good. They're not quite as good as we are stopping the run, but they're, they're a top five caliber rush defense nationally. They're very good. We're going to have trouble trying to run the football consistently early in this game. Where I think we can have more success doing that is on the edges off tackle right at Dallas Turner. The problem with that, though, is Will Anderson on the other side is so good chasing from the backside. He's so long, he's athletic, and he just plays with such an exceptionally high motor. You got to give the guy credit. He plays as hard as anyone out there that he's fantastic at chasing from the backside, even if you're running away from him, which is why I think it's going to be extra important. I've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. I think it'll be extra important in this game to incorporate more quarterback run game, especially simple, even like seriously guys, something as simple as zone reads where you just give Will Anderson on the backside something to think about. Just slow down his pursuit, chase him in the backside ever so slightly enough for our guys to be able to have that space to, to find the hole and fit through that hole before he closes on it. So I think Jordan Battle and coverage against anyone is a good matchup for us, and I would like to run at Dallas Turner. Those are two guys that I've identified as, I don't say weak points, but certainly vulnerabilities in this Alabama defense. All right, next, Dalton asks, is Alabama's offensive line the biggest weakness on the team? He said he feels like our guys are going to feast on their right side especially, which I definitely noticed on Saturday for sure. I mean, it was consistent. It was down in and down out for the Alabama offense. They simply could not protect Bryce Young, and it was primarily coming from the right side of that offensive line. So, yeah, Dalton, I think you are spot on with that assessment. The fact is, as I've been saying all year, this is not a vintage Alabama team. They're still really good. They're still better than just about every else, everyone else in the country. But the offensive line, the right side of that offensive line, is case in point. Damian George would be really good if he started for Arkansas, if he started for Mississippi State, somebody like that, but he's not an Alabama caliber right tackle. Emil Echior, Christian Dalcourt, et cetera, they aren't up to the standard of Alabama offensive linemen. And really most of the year, it was the interior of the offensive line in general. But now, like you look at Damian George at right tackle the past couple weeks, he has been downright bad like really really bad there were a couple of plays when he was trying to block td moultrie on saturday in the iron bowl and he just simply didn't even get a hand on him they just could not get a hand on td moultrie and guys td moultrie is not an explosive pass rusher he's probably auburn's best pass rusher but he's not altogether explosive that's not Nolan Smith. That's not Quay Walker. That's not Channing Tindall coming off the edge. That's not Trayvon Walker coming off the edge. So yes, again, I do think you're correct. The Alabama offensive line, the right side in particular of their offensive line is the biggest weakness on this Alabama team. But I think there's some other areas that are just not up to the traditional Alabama standard. Their defensive front is really good. Guys like Fedarian Mathis, obviously Will Anderson, Dallas Turner is really talented. DJ Dale, if he's healthy and playing, is a really good player. Tim Smith's a really good player as well. But the problem with their defensive front is they just lack depth. They're good against the run. And I mean, they're top five caliber against the run. We're probably not going to have a ton of success running the football early on. But I think we have to keep doing it, keep banging your head against the wall, even if you're not 
having that immediate success and it's not paying immediate dividends because I think they will wear down. They just play the same guys over and over and over again. They play the entire game. Will Harrison plays the entire game. Dallas Turner plays the entire game. They're inside linebackers. Harris and Toto, they play the entire game. They do not rotate. They do not come out. So I'm sure they're going to come out fired up and they'll probably be stuffing the run early in this game. I fully expect that. But if we stick with it and we stay close enough, hopefully we have the lead. But even if we're just, we're right there in it, when we get late in the game, you get late in the fourth quarter, they're going to wear down. They just don't have that depth. That's one of the most underrated aspects of our defense is we have the ability to rotate guys in and out, keep them fresh, and really not skip a beat. You cannot say the same thing about the Alabama front seven. They're talented. They're good. Don't get me wrong. They are, but they're not deep. And that can be a problem unless they just run away with the game early and just get out to such a big lead that we just can't come back and we have to completely abandon the run. I think this this defensive front, this front seven, is a front that we can really, really take it to late in this game. So I think they're going to be worn out. They're just going to be tired. Another weakness I kind of mentioned earlier with, with Jordan Battle, but their secondary can be beaten. It's another part of their defense, another part of their team where they're still good relative to everyone else in the country, but they're not up to the typical Alabama standard. Josh Job at cornerback is a good player. He's a guy that's very beatable. He is certainly not Patrick Sertan. Jordan Battle mentioned him, Jane Armour Davis, the other cornerback. These are players that we can have success against, especially if we can get mashed up in man coverage. I like our receivers. I know we don't throw the ball a ton. I think we have really good receivers. I think we have really good tight ends. We have weapons. We have running backs that can be pass catchers out of the backfield. We can create matchup advantages against these guys, and I think we can win those battles. Our frequent listener, Cliff, says that Will Anderson poses a problem for any offensive line. So what schematically, as far as X's and O's, can Munkin put in place to counter the pass rush from Alabama's elite pass rusher? Another great question, Cliff. We know you always bring the heat, my man. Yeah, this is a tough one, man. Will Anderson is as good of a defender as there is in the country. Obviously, we love Jordan Davis. He gets my Heisman vote, but Will Anderson is right there as well, along with Aiden Hutchinson. Honestly, like with the Heisman this year, why can't it just be an all-defensive Heisman? Like, Do we really think that C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young are better than Will Anderson and Jordan Davis and Aiden Hutchinson in Michigan? Like, Do we really think that? I mean, people with brains who actually understand football do we really think that because i don't but we know that's not going to happen but it should be because those are probably i mean i'm not sure they're the three best players in the country but they got to be up there but that's besides the point will anderson though is a really really talented player who plays exceptionally hard an incredibly high motor he is the total package he can rush the pass he plays the run he chases backside he takes on blocks he does whatever they need him to do and he does it all exceptionally well he is an outstanding football player he is the definition of a game wrecker from the outside linebacker position he is fantastic and he's another guy kind of like with the alabama passing attack do you really stop will anderson do you completely shut him down No, I don't think you can. I think what you have to do is limit the impact that he is allowed and able to have on this football game. You basically have to take him out of the game. We're not going to consistently be able to beat Will Anderson one-on-one. That's not going to happen. You got to find ways to neutralize what he does well. And it's tough because what he does well is basically everything he's asked to do, whether it's rushing the passer, whether it's playing the run, whether it's taking on blockers, it doesn't matter. The guy does it all extraordinarily well. So there's a couple things that I would do if I'm Todd Munkin 
to kind of take him out of the game to a degree, I guess, or at least limit the impact that we allow him to have in the game. And this is where I'll come back to the quarterback run game. I've been on this for a couple of weeks, guys. I've been saying for a couple of weeks now that if Stetson Bennett is indeed the guy that we are rolling with, which at this point, heading into the SEC Championship game, it's very obvious that is the case. Stetson Bennett, whether you love it or hate it, is our quarterback one. He's QB one for the Georgia Bulldogs, and that's not going to change the rest of the season. We'll see what happens next year, but he's the guy. So if that is the case, we need to lean fully into what Stetson Bennett does well. Now, I do think we've done that to a degree throughout the season, rolling the pocket, running some sprint action, some boot action, play action, that kind of stuff, really limiting the drop back pass game. We've really played the strings to a large degree, but I still think there's another level that we can take that to, especially when it comes to his mobility. We've seen him escape the pocket and make plays with his legs. The touchdown run against Tennessee, that was just Stetson creating. That was Stetson escaping pressure and making something happen, creating a play where there was nothing, where when the play breaks down, he's able to still create a productive play for our offense. Those are things we've seen him do. We haven't seen a ton of design quarterback run though. We've seen it, you know, once or twice a game maybe where just to keep the defense honest, we'll run a, a zone read, he'll pull it, right? Where it's just a one simple constraint play. We do like once, maybe twice a game. A quarterback draw here and there, but really nothing extensive. What we're seeing is maybe two or three times a game where Stetson is is operating with a designed quarterback run. It's a called quarterback run where it's not a scramble. I think we need to increase that fairly significantly. I think Stetson needs to probably run the football like on designed quarterback runs double-digit times against Alabama. I'm saying at least 10 times against Alabama. Because if you think about this, guys, how do you keep a guy like Will Anderson that is as talented and as disruptive as he is, how do you keep him from just wrecking your offense and wrecking your game plan? Well, one way that you can do that is make him the read guy. Make him the guy that you are optioning off of in a zone read. Zone reads are like old news, guys. Like there's so many different ways you can that you design quarterback runs these days, whether it's bash, quarterback draws that are the kind of built in with RPOs, all these different ways you can you can incorporate the quarterback run game into the equation, quarterback power, all that stuff. Zone read is like old school now, but it can be something that simple that can be effective in neutralizing a player of Will Anderson's caliber. Because if you make him the read guy, you create a situation where he cannot be right. If he crashes on the running back, which he really likes to do, he's very aggressive, crashing on the running back from the back end, then you pull it and you've got you've got yards there. I don't know what it'll be, but you got five, six, seven, maybe even 10, 15, 20 yards, depending on what coverage they're in and how we block it up. Those plays will be there. And what that will do, if you do it enough time, you can't just do it once. That's not going to convince him to slow down. That's really not. If you do it three, four, five, six times, and you start to create a trend where he really has to think about it, and you're also hurting them when you do that, then that's really going to slow down his his pursuit from the back end, and that opens things up, creates a split second longer for your running backs to be able to hit that hole when and if it's there. And that can be the difference in a game like this against a team that's still as talented as Alabama is. I think that's one thing you've got to do against a guy like Will Anderson. You've got to make him the read guy. And we already do this a lot. I think another thing that we can do is operate with a lot of 12, maybe even 13 personnel. It was very interesting with George Pickens coming back. We'll talk about this a little bit later on when we get to it. I think there's a question about George. But with Pickens coming back in, more than half, he had six snaps, I believe it was, against Georgia Tech. Over half of those were 13 personnel, where we had one running back, 
three tight ends and one receiver. That single receiver, which George Pickens. Puts a lot of stress on defenses because George Pickens is probably our number one guy, even though he's coming off the injury. If you think about the guys that we have, he's our best guy at winning one-on-one, right? When you go with 13 personnel, Alabama has to, whoever you're playing defensively, whether it's Tech or Alabama this week, they're going to have to respond with heavier run personnel because we will run it down their throats when we have three tight ends on the field like that if they do not. If they're out there in a nickel package, we're going to run the ball, football right down their freaking throats. And when they do that and they try to get guys in the box, when they see 13 personnel, they're thinking, oh yeah, ding, 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 Georgia's going to run the football. They get guys in the box. That creates a one-on-one opportunity for whatever single receiver you have out there. If that single receiver is George Pickens, George Pickens is going to win those one-on-one opportunities the vast majority of the time. So that's something that I certainly took notice of playing Georgia Tech. We didn't really utilize it much. Like we didn't like exploit it much, but we showed those looks against Georgia Tech. But I think that's going to be in the game plan this week. And I think two, three tight ends on the field is really going to help, again, neutralize, not stop, but slow down, neutralize Will Smith. It just gives you an extra blocker to chip and to help out whatever tackle it is. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Broderick Jones, who's played the past couple games. It looks like on Monday that... Jamari Salyer is going to give it a go and try to practice. Hopefully he's back and healthy. You need him in a game like this. I don't care if it's Warren McClendon. None of our tackles are going to be able to consistently hold up one-on-one with Will Anderson. They're just not. Really, there's very few, if any, tackles in the country that are going to be able to do that. It's not a slide against our guys. He's just incredibly difficult to block one-on-one. That guy's a freaking monster. He's a beast. So if you chip him, if you give him a little help with those extra tight ends and you still have the ability to hurt teams with the passing game with a guy like George Pickens out there, that's another way that I think you can neutralize. Again, not stop, but neutralize, at least limit the impact a guy like Will Anderson is going to be able to have on this game on Saturday. All right. Garrett asks, who gets more playing time against a suspect Alabama offensive line, Jalen Carter or Devontae Wyatt? Yeah, it's a good question. It's tough to say if you look at their snap totals throughout the entire year, they basically play about the same number of snaps. So Devontae Wyatt has a couple more snaps than Carter. Yeah, Devontae Wyatt's got 304 snaps on the year. Jalen Carter, 290. But those guys, they're interchangeable. Devontae Wyatt has been the starter pretty much all year long, and he's played an extraordinarily high level. He was, he was a really underrated player for us last year. I think he really helped himself by coming back this year. He's taken to another level. He's a very, very sneaky athletic guy. People don't really give him credit for that, but he really is. He's strong at the point of attack. He gives us some pass rest there. Carter, I think you can make the argument, is the best player on our entire team. I've said that a couple times this year, going back to the preseason. I think you can really, really make that argument. I know he's still young, but this guy, from a talent standpoint, is as talented of players we have on our entire roster. So I think it's going to be about the same as it's been all year. I think we're going to rotate those guys, keep them fresh. I expect Wyatt to probably play a couple more snaps than Carter, but it'll be very, very close to 50-50 because both those guys give us a ton, whether it's defending the run, whether it's rushing the passer. They've both just shown the ability to be consistently disruptive players at that three-tech position in the interior of that defensive line. So I think they'll both play a lot in this game, and I fully expect them to have a big impact in this game. Landon wants to know if George Pickens will play against Bama. I know everybody was very excited um, when George came in on Saturday. Do you think he'll get any playing time this weekend? I think he's going to play. Like, don't you, Charlie? Like He played against Georgia Tech. you got to think he's going to play in this game. Or do you shorten up your rotation? That's totally different, though. Yeah. Playing yeah, we, Tech versus playing yeah, Bama. Yeah, when you're up 28 whatever points, and then you can just throw a little five-yard pass and open the second well, half. Well, but even yeah. the com- the level of competition. Yeah. There's less of a risk of him getting hurt. But I think if he's cleared, you tech, don't... Then 
Banna. Yeah, but I think if he's cleared, you don't worry about is he going to get hurt. I think it's more about incorporating him back into the system and just getting his feet wet. And like right now, he's just there's there's got to be a rust factor there. It was nice to see him get out there a couple snaps against Tech. But the fact was, there was just no need to really go out there and use him extensively in that game. I would have liked to personally have seen him play more than six snaps. But I think there was a dual purpose in that. And the more I think about it, you know, initially after the game, I was like, well, he's just probably not going to make that big of an impact in the SEC Championship game. But the more I think about it, going back and rewatching the game against Tech, I'm starting to think he might play more than I initially thought. I, th- I think, and this is just me speculating, I don't know this, but where my mind is right now on this is, is pretty simple. You're right, Charlie. Maybe it's, you know, he's just coming off the ACL injury. Obviously, it's been eight months, but he's just recently gotten cleared. Why even risk it, him playing you know, like 20, 30 snaps in this game against Tech when there's absolutely no need for him to be able to do that? It's just nice to get him out there, get him back in the swing of things, and also show Bama, oh, yeah, hey, remember this guy? Yeah, he's back, and he's going to be able to play. And I guess that's one more thing, one more player that they have to prepare for. And I also think it was a way for us to put some new things on film, again, to make Bama prepare for. The more they have to prepare for that, the less time that they have to prepare for other things that we do. And I mean, look, there's only a 20-hour rule, right? They have 20 hours to work. It's not the NFL where they this is their job and they have unlimited time to prepare for this game. They only have 20 hours. So there's only so much that you can prepare for and throwing more at them, things they hadn't seen on tape all year is just one more thing they have to think about. And I think also, again, I'm gonna go back to what I talked about earlier. More than half of his six snaps, I know it's a very small sample size, but more than half of his six snaps were out of 13 personnel. We run a ton of 12 personnel. We don't run like an abundance of 13 personnel. We really don't. So to me, it's like, is it truly just coincidental that about half the snaps that Pickens played against Tech, more than half the snaps, we're out of 13 personnel, which is not something that we run a ton of. To me, that just that can't be coincidental. I think we wanted to show Bama, hey, we can we can run with this personnel grouping out here, and here's what we're gonna do when we're when we had this personnel group out there. And then just showing that and have them prepare for one thing, and then we do different things off of that that they have not seen once we get to the SEC Championship game on Saturday. So again, 13 personnel, one running back, three tight ends, you have Bowers. Fitzpatrick and and Darnell Washington, you got George Pickens as your single receiver. Just to reiterate this, what that does is it forces defenses to have to respond with heavy personnel. When they see 13 personnel, that's a flashing red light that George can run the football. Heavy run tendencies there. So you bring in big rush defenders and you bring guys in the box and you're probably going to go with man coverage out there against a single receiver. If that single receiver happens to be George Pickens, that's a very different thing than that single receiver being uh, Marcus Rosemead, Jack Saint, or even Ladd McConkie. Those guys are good players, but they're not George Pickens. George Pickens is a guy that can win those 50-50 balls at a rate the other guys simply cannot. So it's very, very intriguing to see what we might be doing with that personnel grouping on Saturday. I just, To me, it cannot be coincidental that... 50 plus percent of the snaps that George played. Again, small sample size, but it can't be coincidental that those snaps were in 13 personnel, which we haven't run a ton of all year long. And then on top of that, George looked good. Yes, I know, a small sample size, it's called one pass. But just to see the way he was moving out there, running routes, cutting, planting, the one reception he made where he does the very George Pickens thing, holds the ball out wide and kind of just jumps in the air and falls in the way that George Pickens falls, he looked like George out there. And yes, I know, it was only six snaps. But I took some very positive things away 
from those six snaps. And I do think he's going to be more a part of this game plan than I think the average Georgia fan anticipates heading into this matchup. I could be wrong, but that's kind of where my head is on the George Pickens question right now. Okay, Joey wants to know who the worst matchup will be for Georgia based off of the remaining playoff contenders. So who's the biggest challenge? Yeah, this is a really good question. I don't know the answer right now. I know that sounds really arrogant of me, but is there a biggest challenger out there right now? Is, is it Alabama? Honestly, is it Alabama right now? I told you guys for a couple weeks, I felt like it was Ohio State. Maybe Ohio State wasn't the best team. Obviously, they got beat by Michigan over the weekend. But I felt like Ohio State gave us the toughest matchup with what they were able to do offensively, challenging teams through the air. I still think that's the best offense in the country. They have some major issues defensively, and Michigan was able to exploit that. Michigan was also able to do enough defensively to harass C.J. Stroud, a young quarterback like Bryce Young, who still had a good game, but certainly wasn't playing to the level that he had played against teams that weren't able to harass him and make him uncomfortable the way that Michigan was able to with guys like Aiden Hutchinson. I still stand by the idea that Ohio State would give us the toughest game of those playoff contenders because of what they can do offensively. It's just the toughest matchup for us with what they can do in the passing game. If you look at these other teams, I don't know. I mean, Ohio State, they're out of it now, right? They're done. Two losses. Didn't win their division. Not going to play in the Big Ten Championship game. They'll be somewhere in the New Year's Six. Maybe the Rose Bowl. Probably the Rose Bowl. But they're not going to be playing in the college playoff, barring like unimaginable chaos over championship week. And even then, I still don't think they're going to get in because they didn't win their own division. Well, I guess... Bama didn't win their own division and got in a couple years ago. I just don't think Ohio State's going to be in there. So if you're looking at the contenders right now, okay, who are we looking at? Obviously, we've got Alabama this week. I guess you call them a playoff contender. I mean, we could potentially see them again if we lose this game. They end up in the cultural playoff. If we still find a way to get in that top four, even with the loss to Bama, maybe we played them again. Maybe that might be the toughest contender. But outside of Alabama, I mean, we're talking Michigan. We're talking Notre Dame. We're talking Cincinnati. We're talking Oklahoma State. Do any of those teams scare you offensively? Because that's what it's going to take, guys. The team that's going to be able to beat us has to be a team that can put up enough points to create kind of a shootout-type scenario to challenge our offense to keep pace. No one has been able to do that to this point. And honestly, I don't think there's a team in the country that's going to be able to do that. You can never say never. Obviously, in college football, any team can be beaten. We see it each and every year. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can be beat, especially if you don't play up to your standard. If you turn the football over, you make mistakes, all those kind of things. But when you're looking at the playoff contenders and you're trying to think, who's the toughest matchup? I think you still have to go back to, I don't want to call it a weakness. I think that's so overstated. But I think if there is an area on our team, on our defense especially, where we are more vulnerable than we are in other places, it's in the secondary. I still don't want to call it a weakness. I hate when people do this. That's Georgia's weakness. I don't think it's a weakness. I think our secondary has been very good. I just don't think they have been challenged by an offense like Ohio State or Alabama at this point. I still think they'll be up to the challenge, but I do think that maybe we are weaker at that position in that part of our team than we are elsewhere on other parts of the team. So when you're looking at, okay, what team is going to give Georgia the toughest game, would be the toughest matchup for us, I think you have to try to find the team that's most equipped to challenge us with their passing game. And you look at those contenders, guys, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, which of those teams scare you with their passing game? 
Not a single one. Michigan is 67th nationally in passing offense. There's 37th nationally in yards per attempt. Oklahoma State's 81st nationally in passing offense, 70th in yards per attempt. Cincinnati is 48th nationally in passing offense, 16th in yards per attempt. Notre Dame is actually 33rd in passing offense and 33rd in yards per attempt. I actually quadruple checked that to make sure that was correct, and that is correct. So what I'm saying here is none of those teams match up well with us. What do all of those teams do best offensively? They run the football. That's what they're built to do. What do we do best defensively? We stop the run. That's what we are built to do. Not one of those teams matches up well with us. That's why, again, I don't want to say I was scared of Ohio State, but they concern me the most because it was a tougher matchup for us. And football is a game of matchups. Honestly, guys, I, I've said all along, I don't think this is a vintage Alabama team. I will stand by that. But I do think they are a tougher matchup for us with what they're able to do offensively in the passing game than any of those other playoff contenders. I'm not saying Alabama is better than Michigan. I'm not saying they're better than Oklahoma State or Cincy or Notre Dame. I think they are better than, than Oklahoma State and Cincy and Notre Dame. They're, I think Michigan is probably better than Alabama right now. I, I, I can go there and say that now after what they were able to do to Ohio State. But... Matchup-wise, I honestly think this game, the SEC Championship, is going to be our toughest matchup of any of those potential contenders. We could eat, we could potentially lose the SEC Championship game and hopefully still find our way in. I think we're in a good position. Let's say we find our way in as the four seed if we lose to Alabama. The toughest matchup we would have, again, is if we had a rematch with Alabama. I like our chances in a rematch scenario if we were to lose on Saturday, which I don't think that we're going to, but it's certainly possible. Alabama's good enough to beat us. But those other teams, not one of them scares me. Honestly, I'm not concerned about any of those teams. And I, I know that makes me sound like an arrogant Georgia fan that all of our rivals would want to like roll their eyes at and mock and make fun of. And that's not normally who I am. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm really not. I'm just trying to be straightforward and honest with you guys. None of those teams, when Ohio State was essentially knocked out for all practical purposes, not one of these other potential playoff teams scares me. They don't. They don't concern me. I think we match up incredibly well. Bama is the one that I think is the toughest matchup and I'm most concerned about, but I still think we're better than them. We just have to go out and play our game. If we play our game and don't give the game away, stupid penalties, turnovers, all that kind of thing, then we should win this football game. And I think you can say that that's the case with every one of these potential playoff contenders. If it's not Alabama, if I have to pick one of those other ones, I, I guess I would say Michigan because I think Michigan is just the best team out of all those other teams. I think Michigan's better than Oklahoma State. I think they're better than Cincinnati. I think they're better than Notre Dame. Again, I don't think they match up well with us. I think we would, we would beat Michigan pretty comfortably. But I think they're the best of those other contenders. So I guess I would go with Michigan after Alabama. All right, G wants to know, with all the wide receivers basically healthy for the first time, what does the rotation look like in the SEC championship game and the playoffs? Yeah, thanks for the question, G. That is going to be something that's interesting to watch as we've rolled with a lot of guys. We've had a very, very broad rotation at receiver this year when we've had all of our, all of our guys healthy. Now, for a while there, we had very few healthy receivers, so it's basically Ladd McConkey and A.D. Mitchell more than anything, and a bunch of tight ends. But now we've basically got everybody back now. I mean, George is back, Dom is back. Kieris is back. I think the ribs are going to be okay. Burton's back. Rosemary Jack Saints back. All these guys are back. So the question becomes, do we just keep doing what we've been doing and we just rotate these guys very liberally? Or do we go with a, a core group of three, four, five guys that we roll with and you really shorten that rotation? It's kind of like when you get into conference playing college basketball, like during the non-conference section of your regular season, I mean, you're playing 10, 11 guys. I mean, your, your bench goes deep. You play all these guys. But when you get into conference play, when you get to the tournament time, 
you really shorten that bench up to maybe seven or eight guys. Some teams, it's like six guys. And I think there's a chance that we see that as we enter the postseason here when the competition is obviously going to tick up once we hit the field on Saturday against Alabama and heading into hopefully the college football playoff. I still think we're going to rotate quite a bit. I mean, here's the guys I think are definitely going to play. A.D. Mitchell is absolutely going to play. Jermaine Burton, 100% is going to play a lot. Rosemead Jackson is going to play a good bit. Lad McConkey, you got to have him on the field at times. Now, his, his playing time has been cut into with some of these guys to come back, but Lad's a playmaker. Lad will be on the field. He'll be in the rotation. Kyrus Jackson is really starting to come on. Rib injury notwithstanding, he's a guy that's starting to make plays for us in the passing game. He's a guy that hasn't really been a major part of the offense, but I think can really be an impact player for us as we head in the postseason and a guy that teams are still going to have to be aware of and prepare for. And then George Pickens is the wild card here. I don't think you're going to see a ton of Dominic Blaylock. I really don't. But I think George is the wild card in this scenario. Like I said earlier, I do think he looks good, man. I know it's a small sample size. He looks like the George of old. I'm not saying he's he hasn't missed a beat. But athletically, planning, cutting, jumping, running, all those things that receivers have to do, he looked good doing it in what we saw of him on Saturday. And I just have this sneaking suspicion that we show just a couple of things against Tech that we want Bama to have to prepare for, and then we're going to do some different things off of that, some different constraints. And I think George might be a bigger part of our plans on Saturday than a lot of us might expect. And certainly if we get in the playoffs, I think with, with a, another month or so under his belt to knock the rust off and practice with the team and work with the ones, get those reps, get that that rapport down with Stetson, I think it would be even more of a factor. But I, I think there's a chance it kind of shortens a little bit that rotation, but I think AD's going to play, Jermaine, Rosemey, Ladd, Kieris, and I also think George Pickens is going to be involved as well. All right, we have a few more questions left, and the next one is from Dog Lightning. How do we get big Darnell Washington more involved in the passing game? Can he split out like Brock? What's the reason the coaches keep playing the two guards we have instead of bigger, more powerful recruits stacked up behind them. And Charlie, I know you're a big Darnell Washington stan. Do you want stan? A, a stan? Do you stan? know what a stan is? No. I call myself a Matt Corral stan. Charlie, it goes back to like Eminem. You know Eminem, right? I mean... The song Stan. No. An obsessive dude. Okay. I mean, I probably can sing All right, along, let, but let I don't put it in know terms what it you is. Understand. You are a fan of Darnell Washington, correct? Yeah. You like Darnell Washington. Yeah. Do you want to see him get more involved in the offense? Sure. But who do you take touches away from? Do you take touches away from Brock Bowers right now? It's tough. Like, I would say no. I I think we need I think we can use Darnell more effectively and more consistently, especially in the red zone. I think he's a he's an untapped weapon in the red zone. And maybe we've just been holding, maybe we haven't had to use him there. But when you got Darnell I mean when you've got Brock Bowers who is about to potentially set the single season receiving touchdowns record, it's tough to take passes away from him. Maybe take away some from receivers. I don't know. But we have so many different weapons. I agree with you. I understand that he's an awesome weapon. We want to find a way to use him. I think we can we can use him more efficiently and effectively. But it's just tough to take those snaps away from a guy like Brock Bowers. Not even the snaps, but taking the passing, those targets away from a guy like Brock Bowers. But yes, to answer your question, he can split out like Brock. We do it with him. We just don't do it as much as we do with Brock. And also a big part of it is that Darnell is just such a devastating blocker in line. It's hard to pull him out of that position more than we do because he that that's where his greatest value is right now. When you have a guy like Brock who can also split out wide and do some of those things, maybe in a way I think more athletically than Darnell, it's tough to do those kind of things with him on a more consistent basis. 
Okay, last question. Jesse wants to know, who do we trust at Star? Um, he says, Brini's seems to have been in the doghouse ever since Florida, right? Really? Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that was the point where you really started to see it, and it's just kind of taken off from there. Yeah, and Jesse says, Poole has never played meaningful reps, so whoever is there is going to get matched up with Williams or Mechie in the slot, so who will it be? Oh, man. It's going to be Brini to start. Brini's continue to start these games, but you can clearly see... That I don't know if I want to say that he's in Kirby's doghouse. Maybe that's the case. It certainly seems like Kirby's not completely thrilled with how Brini's been performing. You start to see a little bit in the Florida game with that miscommunication there in the fourth quarter. A couple of miscommunications in the fourth quarter. Kirby kind of lost his mind and and uh, went bananas on Keeley. Ringo pulled him out of the game. That's because Keeley was frustrated because, in my opinion, Brini blew the coverage both times. Now Kirby wanted to protect the player. And not call him out like that in the press conference. And he said, oh, well, Keeley is just kind of getting on to a guy. And I didn't really want him to do that. And it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Because, Kirby, you're all about player leadership. You're all about a player-led team. So that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And you saw the Tennessee game. Made a couple mistakes in that game. And got pulled out real quick. And we didn't see in the rest of the game. What we saw is Chris Smith move up from safety to the star position. And insert Dan Jackson at that second safety spot opposite Lewis Seen. I certainly think there's a possibility you see that lineup again to open this game. I actually like that lineup. I think Christmas is a really good cover guy, and I like him in the star position there. I think Brini's done some really good things for us. I don't want to kill Latavius Brini. He's been really good for us for large portions of this season, early in the season, and go back to the Clemson game in Charlotte, which challenged. He was a guy that offenses had this, they had the same questions that I had coming in. Can Brini hold up in coverage against those better receivers? And he answered some of those questions early on in the year, had a big pass breakup in the end zone there in Charlotte in, in that opening game against Clemson. And, and he did that a couple other times as well throughout the season. But I do still think there are some limitations with Brini and coverage. I do think Chris Smith is a better cover guy. I think Chris Smith is actually... I don't want to say a better tackler. Brini has shown the ability to be a good tackler. Brini takes bad angles sometimes, out of position at times, uh, out there on the perimeter. And Chris Smith does a really good job of also fighting through and getting off blocks. That's one of the things that really frustrated Kirby, especially in that Tennessee game. You think back to that Tennessee game, they were they were really stretching us horizontally, throwing those screens out there, and Brini was not doing a great job getting out there and getting off those blocks. And Sir Chris Smith, all of a sudden, those plays aren't nearly as successful. He's able to fight off those blocks, get through them, and make the play. So I certainly wouldn't be shocked to see that. And tackling is going to be at a premium against Alabama and the receivers. They like to run these little, these quick routes, these glance routes, a lot of times off RPOs. And you're going to play a lot of man coverage to counteract the RPOs. And when they get that man coverage, if they break that tackle, they're taking it to the house. You've seen it time and time again. So tackling is always important. It takes it on a premium against a team like Alabama with how they stretch their offense and the kind of plays they like to run in the passing game. So I actually like Chris Smith there more in this game. The problem with that, though, is that Chris has been hurt. He did not play against Charleston Southern, did not play against Tech. He was out there a little bit last week in practice, I know, but he obviously was not cleared and ready to go by the time the game rolled around. I It's Monday night right now when we are recording this, so I don't know yet if he was able to actually get out there and practice. Kirby said he was hopefully be out there practicing, but we don't know for sure. I'm hopeful. I just, I don't know right now. If he practices this week and he's out there to take those reps, I think there's a good chance we might see something like that. I think Dan Jackson's played really well. I know that he's not a big-time recruit. There's some fans out there that do have some concerns about Dan Jackson. I'm not one of them. I think Dan knows what to do. I think Dan is a very underrated athlete. I think he closes really well. He's a good tackler. He plays hard. He plays fast. I, I think he's pretty good in coverage. He's not elite in coverage, but no safety really is like usually elite in coverage. That's why their safeties are not cornerbacks. 
So I, I feel comfortable with him. I th- honestly, I feel more comfortable with Dan Jackson and Chris Smith on the field than I do with Chris Smith and Latavius Breeding on the field. That's just kind of where I am right now. And I think the coaches might feel the same way. It just kind of depends on Chris Smith's health. I think that's really what it comes down to. Because you're right, whoever is out there, Bill O'Brien is going to get Williams and, and Mechie matched up in the slot. They, they did that all the time. I know it was a different offensive coordinator but with Sarkeesian there last year. They did it all the time with Devontae Smith. Why do you do that? Because typically speaking, your slot DB, your nickelback, what we call our star, is not as good of a cover guy as your outside corners. So you want to get your best receivers matched up with a guy that's not as good of a cover guy. And Brini has made some plays for us. He has. Again, I don't want to kill the guy, but he's probably our worst cover guy out there in our in our base unit. I mean, I I think that's that's probably the case right now. So if, if Chris Smith is healthy, I think that's what you roll with. I think you go Chris Smith at star. We've seen him do it already this year. And Dan Jackson at safety. That's kind of how I would approach that. But all right, guys, that does it for today here on the Glory UGA Podcast. As always, we appreciate you guys taking time out of your busy schedule. We know there's a lot of things you guys can listen to, a lot of options out there. And we are incredibly grateful and humbled that you guys choose to listen to our podcast each and every week. Thank you very much for that. But we are not done, guys. We're just getting started breaking down the SEC Championship game. We did a lot of talk today. We're going to have our full SEC Championship game preview next up. And we might or might not have a special guest back on the podcast who has not done a preview episode with me all season long. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, Charlie and I will be back to wrap things up this week with our championship edition of our Picks of the Week. So thanks for listening. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dog.